Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You. Today I have an old friend and someone who's a very, very respected professional, Devashish Mukherjee. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashitash. Devashish is uh, with A.T. Carney since 2000. He's a partner and a regional lead uh, for consumers uh, in the Middle East and Africa. Um, he was the Economic Times 40 under 40 in 2015. He's from IIT Kharagpur, I am Calcutta, and he worked with Anderson before that. My God, what an amazing amount of things you've done so early in life. Okay. Uh, Devashish, tell me a little bit about your early career before we come to AD Khan. Sure. Thank you, Ashutosh, for that uh, grand introduction. I mean, after college, uh, I had uh, excellent opportunities to intern with some of the companies you've been associated with. So I did a production training with ITC in their Saranburg plant. Mm-hmm where incidentally I met my wife at that point. Wonderful. Then later from MBA, I was a Hindustan Lever summer intern uh, who got a job. Yeah. And uh, then in those days, Ashutosh, I mean, frankly, there was so much of a difference between industry salaries and consulting salaries. Uh, I thought I'll try consulting for some time. And then one thing led to another. Okay. And just stayed on. And, and it, that's the way it's just been. Okay. So. And then you were in India for some time and uh, now moved to Dubai. That's right. So I've spent a large part of my career in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been associated with the Middle East since 2005. Okay. Uh, I was one of the founding partners of the office. Uh, okay. Though I was not a partner, but one of the three folks who set it up in, way back in 2005. Okay. Uh, I came back in 2008 and now uh, I've relocated with my family to, uh, to Dubai. the specific mandate of consumer and retail. Wonderful. So let me start with the, you know your career as a consultant. Why did you decide to choose consulting other than the money? The frank answer, Ashutosh, is at that time, we really didn't understand these differences too much. Of course, I understood sales and marketing, which I had already done a couple of months of uh, sales uh, and marketing training with uh, Hindustan Libra, as it was known then. So in many ways, it was just a unknown blind decision. Companies come and make their PPT mm-hmm. and PowerPoint presentation on campus. But at that age, you don't exactly understand what management consulting is. Understand. But uh, naturally, this is something I've enjoyed and have found some strengths in. So I have kind of uh, stayed. So okay. maybe it's a simplistic answer, but that's... No, no, really that's a perfect is. answer. Yeah. So, you know, my next question is that you worked across several industry groups, you know, um, including many traditional businesses. Um, my question to you is that given the fact that you worked with traditional businesses and new businesses. How are the new businesses changing consulting? You mean the startups and uh, folks like that? Or technology. Or technology. Yeah, I think definitely they have opened up possibilities in the whole digital area. So having a digital first mindset is critical. Whether you're working for the old, old, no, no, nothing is old, all the surviving brick and mortars, and for that matter, startups. And at the same time, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I still feel the basic principles of business remain the same. Revenue have to be more than cost. The balance sheet has to be relatively stable. So and you have to make money. And you have to make money. Uh, cash is the reality. And in many cases, I still don't understand or fully uh, appreciate the full valuation game, etc., etc. But coming to back to the question, a digital first mindset is required. But the traditional part of what I mentioned is that the business driver questions are applicable on both the sides. Mm -hmm. 
and I don't think data can substitute for good questions. A good problem still starts with the right question. Correct. And the right questions more often than not are not dependent on data. So uh, I still see problem solving and solving for the consumer. Forget about the company. Any company will make money if you're solving a commercially viable problem. Correct. So the problem definition I still feel is hypothesis driven, experience driven and understanding what you want to do rather than just having a lot of data and then throwing things like AI. You know, but that's and that, I guess, remains the same irrespective of which business you're in. I believe so. But I think you will find enough literature and enough points of view that the mind cannot fathom what data can. But uh, personally, as I said, I'm of the view that correlation and causation are different. And causation comes from experience and hypotheses. Mm -hmm. So. So, you know, when I was reading about you, um, there were two words that got me very uh, fascinated. When you said that you assist clients in operational transformation, help me understand what this means. Sure. So I think, uh, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but maybe there's a question around strategy and operations. Okay. And then, of course, there is transformation. Yeah. I mean, in the end, our DNA in Etikani and my own DNA is about action. Correct. It is about making change happen and making change stick. So a certain set of criteria have to be satisfied for us to be able to serve clients and add value. Correct. Operations is the area which affects the PNL or the balance sheet. So first of all, there has to be a large PNL aspect, which could be a revenue or a cost. Or there could be a large balance sheet aspect around whatever, CapEx, liability, etc., which we have to deal with. Correct. Uh, number two, there is always strategy embedded in operations, but operations in some way, other than if you just leave the portfolio side aside, is basically everything which a company needs to do, including taking corrective actions on strategy, Absolutely. which could be about what products to launch, is my pricing correct, is my value proposition correct. So in some way, maybe it's a large enough term, but it's more to denote the here and now and making things happen to impact the PNL and the balance sheet. And transformation is about fundamentally doing things differently. It's, I guess, even just the English definition. And while it's a oft used and perhaps misused word, but uh, I think in the current times we live in, some companies at certain stages need transformation. And they need some serious transformation. Serious transformation. And what about, uh, you know, in any cycle of transformation, you, know, you you evaluate, then you find what the problem is, then you do the transformation after you've strategized, and then do, you do an evaluation. And then after the evaluation, you start the whole cycle all over again. So at what stage do you come in and at what stage do you hand everything back to the client? Typically, our transformations are the full cycle. Okay. Uh, because otherwise, you're not taking responsibility for the outcomes. Right. And we do take responsibility even commercially. Uh, you know, many of our commercial models are linked to uh, success. Okay. So short answer is it's end-to-end -end life cycle. Mm -hmm. And typically, it's been a long time since I've done a part transformation where you either only establish the case. Correct. Or do a little bit because that doesn't give uh, me or I think our organization mm -hmm. too much joy. I understand. So, you know, uh, having worked in, in India for a long time, now working in Dubai, uh, working across uh, nationalities with Indian clients, multinational clients, etc. What have been some of your learnings in terms of the work practices that we follow in our country 
versus multinationals. And uh, how do you think some of them are different? Because nothing is wrong. Yeah. And yet, you know, very often the Indian way of management, if I can use the word, is very different from what I see in, in the multinational way of management. You work with all of them. Yeah. I think, Ashutosh, this question can be answered at different levels. Correct. At a human level, I see and feel humans to be the same everywhere. They feel joy in similar things. They get hurt by similar things. So in terms of your behaviors and how you come across, how you want to come across uh, and whatever else which defines you, I don't think one has to change too much. Uh, if you're decent in one country, you'll still be decent in another country. And perhaps some of the social practices, etc. are just uh, either over-talked about or perhaps just commonsensical. So from a human aspect, it's easy to relate to nationalities across the globe. Correct. Uh, even without similarities in background and even beliefs, etc. On the work practice, it's difficult to generalize. But I will, if I had to generalize, I would say that in the more developed economies, there is a more systematic way of working Correct. compared to India. Correct. But instead of giving a large company example, let me give you a relatable example. Let's say you have a door handle to be changed in a house. First of all, it'll cost you 10 times more in the Middle East or in Europe to get it changed. But the person who comes, he will not just be a carpenter. He will be a person who can change a lock, who can uh, improve your existing lock. He will also have painting. So when he comes and goes, the door will be like brand new. Correct. In India, you'll first have to call somebody to take the lock out. Who will come then, with the helper. Yeah, who will come with the helper. Then you'll need a carpenter to ensure that the wood edges and all are chipped and properly, but he'll say he's not a painter. Then the third person will have to come and make it look like new. Right. So in the end, you've had three sets of interactions and maybe multiple interactions mm. to even get that single person. Mm. Maybe the additive cost of all the three might be close to what you're paying outside. Correct. And even if you assume quality to quality is exactly the same, mm. but you will, I think, get more satisfaction when that person comes, just says, leave me alone, he does everything and he goes away as if it's new. So it's systematic because it's a complete solution. It's systematic because they're carrying everything. It's not that they'll come to the house and say, well, I have to get this nail size now. I don't have it again. He'll take a cycle or scooter. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also there in the companies in okay. terms of how they operate, etc. Right. What that results in is, I think, a slight loss in flexibility and agility. Mm -hmm. It could be whether you want to change flights like five times a day. They will have their times in which, yeah, if it's room service in a hotel, you know, how quickly they will come. Mm. But I think if you can adjust with the service times because of a certain process, mm. um, including standing in line when you have to, standing at a red light when you have to, uh, I think the net returns are fairly systematic and Very interesting. Uh, good. Yeah. Very interesting. So, you know, Devashish, you do a lot of work with consumers and retail. Um, over the last seven, eight years, retail is changing dramatically, yeah. especially with the uh, platforms, you know, the e-commerce platforms coming in, in virtually every space. What is your experience uh, of how this is changing and uh, what is your view on the brick and mortar retails? Because when I talk to my friends in Dubai, I'm told that in Dubai as well, retail is struggling. Yeah, so I'll perhaps, if you're okay, answer the question in two parts. Absolutely. First is what will happen to retail? And I think as you very nicely and 
very accurately talked about platforms. Let me first talk about two industries which 30 to 40 years back moved online and which are still thriving today. And my basic message is going to be that brick and mortar will survive, correct? The, uh, the first industry which uh, moved online globally was the movie industry. Right. If you remember when we were children, uh, the rich kids used to have these uh, DVDs, mm. then those VCRs and this and that, home entertainment. Uh, so it was not really online, but it was a competition between brick and mortar and in-home service of some kind. Okay. If you see the ticket sales in North America for the last 40 years, even with VCRs, and if you remember, there was also this whole piracy boom, and ticket sales consistently year on year has gone up. Mm. Why? Because people thought that you're going to watch instead of a uh, movie in the theater hall, you're going to see it at home. What has actually happened is you're watching the same movie more number of times. And you can perhaps relate that to the those... Uh, Parlors we used to have, which used to exchange uh, VCR tapes mm -hmm. and uh, DVDs, etc., etc. Right. So that was the surprising learning that people are consuming more when it is in home. It is not Correct. that they are choosing this versus that. Correct. The second industry which went to in home was uh, restaurants, mm -hmm. and uh, restaurants globally have been serving home for the last 30, 40 years. Correct. But if you see the number of restaurant space being added year on year. Uh, it's only been increasing and yeah. the same learning came that you consume more when it is at home. Mm -hmm. However, for both the cases, what is true is you have to improve the experience for the customer to have a burger you may or may not go out. Okay. But if you want a fine dining restaurant, you're not going to be able to do that. Right. If you want an IMAX or a Dolby, why was Dolby invented? Dolby was invented to get people back to the Theaters. movie halls. Yeah. 3D was invented to get, you can't do 3D at home. Mm. So the question therefore for the retailers is what do you do to get people back to the store? Mm. Now many people are still winning that battle. Mm. Uh, again, winning, it's, it's not a judgment somebody's winning or not, but people mm. are on that transition. Sure. You, know, uh, you, you have certain store services, experiences available at a store. People fundamentally, uh, you know, retail therapy is a maybe abused word, but it is true. People need to go out, people need to interact. People just can't stay at home. And in track. So net-net, uh, if I put that in numbers on grocery retail, which has the highest frequency and perhaps the lowest margin, we believe brick and mortar will survive. Uh, we still believe 70-80% of the business will continue to be brick and mortar with online being a very nice and convenient service to give. So if you see Walmart today, the way they are uh, gaining share okay. through Walmart. Uh, in the brick and mortar stores? Through brick and mortar and online, and it's as you yeah. know, it's called omni-channel. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's uh, one of the great examples globally. If you look at fashion retail, there are so many of the folks who have great mono-brand sites, who have multi-brand sites. They have their own stores, and I think people are learning to get it in terms of how to compete with the platforms. There are similar examples in India as well. You know, that's a fascinating answer you've given because I was talking to somebody else, and they said that despite everyone being connected on the phone, people are getting more and more lonely. <laughs> and yeah. therefore, they need the experiences to be able to go out and shop, yeah. uh, you know, meet other people socially, uh, go to theatres, go to eat. Uh, what are your thoughts? I would fully subscribe to that view and I think that's pretty close to what I also just uh, mentioned, that it is required. Right. However, whatever can be easily delivered at home, and you don't expect now a, to get a mobile phone charging cord in a shop. Anymore. Correct. And that, that I think is correct. Understood. So I fully agree with that. Correct. 
Okay, so let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about millennials. You know, again, in your area of specialization, um, millennials are playing, playing a very, very major role. And now, of course, Gen Z is coming in after the millennials. Um, how are millennials changing the consumer and retail uh, business? Would we be in India or in Middle East or Africa? Yeah, um, I don't think I have a fully formed view okay. on this. Okay. However, the little bit I understand, I'm very happy to share. Mm. Um, one side of me says, I'm not really sure if millennials are very different from what any age group used to be 10 years, 20 years, even 100 years okay. back. They have new ways of expression. They have new technology uh, and so on and so forth. The other side says that that mass of behaviors around and what are those new behaviors which one can talk about. Uh, I, I do see in the more affluent or reasonably financially stable millennials uh, a greater focus on uh, first of all being personally more responsible in terms of being socially aware, mm -hmm. buying and subscribing to products which are brands which do good, which talk good, which have a purpose. Mm -hmm. and we are finding that in the PLs of those companies. So this is not just marketing speak that are we doing it or not doing it. Mm -hmm. However, at the same time, I find a large mass of people, including in many uh, Middle Eastern African countries, even in India where uh, I grew up, uh, you grew up, where people who are coming up the ladder perhaps still don't have the time or the appreciation or the 360 view of what it doesn't mean to not use a plastic mm -hmm. packet or uh, mm -hmm. things like that. So I don't know where the gravity of the numbers are in terms of sizes, but Correct. I would just say that all these folks exist. I'm happy that there are new causes and I'm happy that they're more open to taking it up. Mm -hmm. um, and that is reflective, but I, I still think that the world is a combination of all these folks and uh, yeah, so I've got one more question for you relating to uh, your experience and then sure. we'll get to a few questions sure. for you personally. You worked in three of what I would call the most dynamic regions, mm -hmm. India, Middle East and Africa. How do you see the consumer in each of these regions? Are they very similar or are they very different? If you allow, I, I'll answer that question from a process perspective. Sure, sure. I mean, naturally, it is understood that what they buy, what they like will be different based on cultures, Correct. their past experience, their affordability, what's available in the market and perhaps some other factors. Correct. But in the end, the process of understanding what creates value, if you've learned it in one market, I think you can relate it to another market. And uh, personally, my, my deepest thoughts are, I think folks like us who have worked in India understand value to the last pesa, if I Correct. can say that. Yeah. Because here you deal with low price, reasonable margin products. Whereas I think in many countries outside the world, they've, in my and perhaps controversial opinion, they've lost the price value equation. Goods are priced at things which are not related to cost and you just cannot even correlate that. Correct. So when you work in these markets and you know what it takes to do a 5 rupee product, what it takes to do a 10 rupee product, then I think your horizons just expand globally into, okay, what do customers want? 
and how can I deliver mm. that value? And the process, and like you've been a super businessman yourself, you'll understand that process everywhere in the world uh, that way. But I still come back and perhaps parochially. So customers are similar in terms of what they stick to, in okay. terms of how it, what it means to their culture and what okay. they've grown up with. Wonderful. So, that wonderful. so let me move to a few questions for you personally. You know, my first question is that you stayed with one organization for a long time. And yet, when I meet a lot of people, they believe that the thing to do is to keep jumping jobs. Uh, both my sons have stayed with their companies uh, for 13 years and 11 years, and they think that, you know, something wrong with these guys. What are your th- uh, thoughts on being a, a single company or one or two company person versus jumping every two years? Mm-hmm. And this is more like some, your, your experience and advice for the thousands of people <laughs> who listen to us. I, I wouldn't. Uh, position it as advice okay. by any means, but I can only share my uh, experience and belief, which also is a post facto belief, Correct. but I, I do believe it now. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things. First is I think uh, a job is like a marriage. You have to recommit to it every year. Okay. Just because I've been around in my company for 20 years, either doesn't mean that they are a fool or I'm a fool. It just means that at every point in time, whether it was every two years or three years or even six months, mm-hmm. I thought this was the best opportunity available for me. And on either side, that equation has worked out. Just like in a marriage, it's easy to perhaps walk out, and but you know there is no, uh, I guess... Uh, the effort has to be made. Yeah, the effort has to be made. Correct. The second thing, spiritually, which I believe is that you cannot run out of difficult situations in your life. The objective of this life is to go through those situations and learn. So if you want to, quote unquote, escape it, I'm not saying people who change jobs are escapists. Mm-hmm. And as, a, mm-hmm. as a manner of speaking, it will come back to you. Yeah. So, for example, you know, typically it's known people will change a job for more money, mm-hmm. for escaping a bad boss, Correct. or for a better job title. Correct. What is to say that all these three things won't change in three months Correct. after you join? Yep. Right? Anything can happen. You could The person who interviewed you may not be your line manager eventually. Uh, the company may, may not be what you think. Uh, they might have offered you a position. Uh, you know, they might have offered you Bombay and later say we need you in Assam. I mean, anything is possible. Now what will you do? Will you again change that? So I think the objective is to go through that. And having said that, uh, I've observed sometimes people get blockbuster opportunities. Blockbuster means, you know, compared to what you're doing and what you get. And I think if those opportunities come, so maybe one way to look at it is I haven't got that kind of a blockbuster opportunity, okay. which really made me sit and say, you know, let's yeah. do that. Yeah. So those are some of my Wonderful. perspectives. Wonderful. So my next question to you is that over the years, and you've been a successful professional, um, have you had any people who've had an influence on your life? And if yes, what, what have you learned from them? Yeah, I mean, many, many people, and not in a customary way, but uh, I've, of course, learned a lot from my parents. Uh, That's perhaps both obvious and also in my case, uh, very true. I've learned a lot from my wife Mm -hmm. because I think the kind of feedback people close to you can give you, uh, people in office also perhaps Mm -hmm. uh, don't reach those levels. And I think fundamentally the truth of the matter is the people who you don't get along with teach you the most Mm -hmm. and you will get them all along the way, both in your organization and outside. so without naming them, uh, in the end, in your heart, you have to agree that they are your teachers. They are your teachers. You have to agree and believe that. Very good. Very good. Yeah. So I have time for two more questions. But, um, uh, my next question is that what would be three words 
that define Devashish. I don't know if there are three, but the word which is coming to my mind right now is relentless. Okay. <laughs> okay. I guess I'm being relentless in my <laughs> question. Like, you, you know, it's about being gritty, being tenacious, mm. being perseverance. I, I don't think you have to be very bright yeah. necessarily to do much. You have to be tenacious. You have to just hang in there. Okay. If I am reasonable with myself, I'll also say I'm a fairly reasonable chap. Okay. Uh, kind, understanding, whatever. What? It's, uh, so I think the, yeah. this is what I would emphasize. So my next question to you is on failure. You know, and I ask this from every guest. Um, I have a hypothesis which says that uh, in India, or for that matter in Asia, we don't teach our children that it's okay to fail, which results in all kinds of challenges. Yet we fail all the time. So, give us. so my question to you is that what have been some of your learnings from some of your mistakes or your failures? I think every failure gets a different angle of the same learning. Sometimes it just even reinforces something which Correct. you could have done more. But in the end, a couple of things which are common I find in uh, my failures and which uh, are there uh, in many ways. Mm -hmm. uh, first is to not prejudge a situation. Sometimes failures are also in my case because you've prejudged a situation. So keep an open mind. Keep every transaction as a new transaction, whether it be with people, whether it be with organizations. Otherwise, you are almost premeditating yourself into a failure because you're carrying impressions. So get inputs, but be non-judgmental. That's one learning I try and uh, be more aware of. Uh, the second thing is to get more opinions. So it might be contrary to the first one, but the balance between great vision and understanding all the risks, I, I don't think there is any science around that. All of us evolve over time. I, I, I just feel at this point, and perhaps based on recent experiences, better to get a broader set of views. Mm -hmm. And again, just be with them, not take a view on that, but so broader view. So I would say not prejudge situations and have an open mind other two. Okay. Situational things on my mind right now. Wonderful. So Devishish, uh, thank you very much. It's been pleasure. such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you. Ashutosh, and it's always great to catch up with you again. And this time it is after a long time. Thank you. But I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you, Ashutosh. Good. Very much. Thank you for listening to the Brand Called You podcast. Be sure to visit tbcy.in to join the conversation, access show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Simply search for the Brand Called You. Thank you and see you next week.